Before we get into our um, time in the Word of God today, this is um, a milestone for so many uh, graduating seniors. And um, across the city this past week, we've had graduation ceremonies going on. And um, I'm I'm wondering if uh, you're willing, if you're a graduating senior uh, and you've graduated or perhaps just about to, would you stand um, uh, for just a second? And would you keep standing? Uh, I, um, just, would, would you just keep standing for just a second? I want to say a word to you. Um, so we've just sung this, this, um, this chorus of conviction that none go with me, I still will follow. And uh, as a church family, we want to charge you uh, with something. Uh, and it's, it's the fact that we understand that at this intersection of your life, you already have had many choices and you're about to have many more. And uh, many, many streams of influence that, that uh, can uh, empower you or wreck you. And uh, what we would charge you with is go with Christ. But before you make that decision in the future, that decision comes now. And uh, conviction comes before you make a a decision. And so we pray for you. I pray for our seniors regularly, more than you would know, uh, that because you're facing many intersections, especially in this culture. So uh, our word to you this morning is go with Christ. Uh, But before you go, go with Christ. And uh, we're proud of you. Yeah, we're proud of you. Thank you. Um, a point of prayer before we, we uh, move into our time of the Word of God. We have two families that are leaving this week for Cambodia. And uh, we as a church family, it is our responsibility to pray for them and to hold them up. Uh, this is not an easy trip. And uh, so um, I'm going to ask uh, for us to have just some prayer together as a family. Um, and I'm going to ask the Hamiltons and the Rickards uh, if you'll come up and give us the privilege of praying for you. Um, the reason that we do this is that to, um, to, to support them, uh, to tell God that we understand um, that, uh, good morning, come on up, that um, we, this is not uh, our trip. It's not their trip. It really is God's trip. And so um, I'm going to invite those of you that would like to come up here and and pray and lay hands on them. Just go ahead and make a move if if you'd like to. And uh, we we just want to say as a church family that uh, we're behind you and uh, with you. And uh, and this is, uh, we're opening ourselves up to God. Good morning. Crowd on in. Come on in. Father, thank you so much, God, for um, allowing us to the privilege to partner with you. And um, we pray, God, for the obvious, for protection, for health, for strength. But God, beyond that, we want to pray for open eyes, God, for you to navigate um, this team and, and, and each heart here, God, to navigate them in ways that they don't know. Whatever fears they might have, concerns, questions, God, 
help them to relinquish that to, to you. And pray that when they're there to expect the unexpected, God, not from a human point of view, but a spiritual point of view, that you would open their eyes, God, to see what your intentions are, to uh, allow their own intentions and own plans to, uh, to vanish really in front of you and to allow yours to appear. We pray, God, for those that they will come in touch with, God, would, you, would your Holy Spirit be the vanguard to go before them, to make a way, to open doors, to close doors, God, whatever you want. So here we are, God, together as a family, and we want to go with them in prayer. And so, God, we commit ourselves to you, to them, uh, before you, God, we commit to them to lift them up, pray, to, to pray, not daily, God, but uh, moment by moment, hour by hour, God, help us to, to be faithful to that, to be good family members. And in all things, God, we seek your glory, to move your kingdom, God, for your credit. And so I just pray, God, that would be at the foremost of their minds constantly. So we surrender these brothers and sisters to you, God, for your work. In the name of Jesus, amen. It's an appropriate uh, intersection for our conversation today. It's an appropriate weekend for our conversation today. Uh, this past week, I have spent time in uh, video calls and WhatsApp and texting to parts of the world that uh, are persecuted for being uh, a Christian. And it just brings into my attention once again this, uh, this, the value of our freedom and what we have in, the, in this in country and especially on weekends like this Memorial Weekend that we, we uh, value. Our, our nation expresses appreciation for those who have given their lives for fallen soldiers of, of many generations. And so uh, what we've done this morning, openly worshiping, comes at a price uh, of great value. Uh, Parents and grandparents and brothers and sisters and daughters and sons of those family members who survived, those who are lost in, uh, in war, we, we thank you for the sacrifice of, of uh, what you've given. Uh, Jesus uh, made a call spiritually of great value. There are many things that I appreciate about Christ. When you dig down into his life, his communication, uh, his values. The deeper you go, the more you learn to appreciate. And one of the things that I really do value in, in, in how Christ was and what he stood for is that there was no bait and switch. I like that about Jesus. Because we live in a culture that we have softened the edges of truth. I, I know each of you understand what I mean when I say that. And when it comes to the call to Christ, the invitation to give our lives to Christ, it has softened sometimes to the point that I don't recognize it anymore, quite frankly. And I think it's unfair. I think it's unfair to God. I think it's unfair to people that we invite to Christ to not give full disclosure of what people are committing to and who they're committing to. 
We often, uh, in our church culture, uh, can fall into the trap of wanting to attract people, and we attract them by a, a message that's it's only uh, partially true, if true at all. That coming to God is about our benefit only, that it is about what we get out of it rather than the call that Christ made of commitment and allegiance. So Jesus was extremely fair from the outset because he didn't uh, promise something that he changed later on. See, that's not fair. If I say to you, hey, come to the gym and just let's, uh, let's get a snack, and you get there, and uh, it's not a snack at all, and it's hard work. You're like, hey, this is not what you, you told me it was about. But everything that Christ does, even when it's a hard message, is filled with compassion. Because Jesus understands that if we just offer an invitation that is um, easy, that is to a person's benefit, and then it doesn't turn out that way, first of all, it gets boring. And second of all, it loses its value. Things of great value most typically require great effort. So many of you know, for years and years, I taught piano uh, to many students, particularly high school, college-age students. And, uh, you know, some of them had been taken for years, and, you know, what every one of them recognizes that the more they studied, the more difficult it got. And there was this great dropout rate. Uh, you know, once you get past the one-page songs, you know, like the Happy Horse, the Polka Donut Bunny, you know, all those songs. And once you get past those songs and you actually have to practice, then, uh, then we see a huge dropout rate because now it's tough. You didn't tell me it was going to be tough. In fact, after the first service, someone came up to me and she said, I, my mother tells this story that I went to my first piano lesson and uh, I played this little song, cross the bridge, here we go, cross the bridge, we go. And uh, in the car on the way home, she goes, you know, I don't feel like I need any more piano lessons. <laughs> kind of feel like I've mastered this thing. Today, we're going we're gonna to talk about being a disciple. And Jesus clearly made an invitation of what that means. Today, we use the word Christian. We, we ask people, are you a Christian? What it means today is different than what it meant back in Jesus' day and back in the early church's day. Uh, and in fact, when you look at the, the New Testament and you would do a word search for the word Christian, you will only find it in the New Testament three times. But if you look for the word disciple, just in the first five books, that's the four storytellers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and, and John, and then the book of Acts, which is the recording of the early church, just those, those first five books, in the, in the entire New Testament, the word Christian just three times, just in those first five books of the New Testament, the word disciple is found 261 times. You say they understood then that to change the world and to really be in the game, it was not just an affiliation with theological points. 
In our day and age, we say, are you a Christian? Sometimes what that means is, do you agree with the bullet points of the Christian doctrine? To be a disciple, on the other hand, is, in biblical terms, are you all in? So in my piano teaching, when I would have a, a, a piano student, and uh, they were in high school, and I would require them to practice a, 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 about an hour a day, but then they would come to me and say, you know, I believe that I, I'm going to make a profession of this, that I'm, I want to be a music major in, in a university. I'm saying, okay, now, now the, the game has changed. An hour will not, of practice will not even get you to the application process. The, the pieces of music that they're going to require cannot be played at, that, at this uh, level of effort. You're going to have to give a minimum of three hours a day in order to be what you want to be. And this was the call that Jesus was making. You will not find the word easy in the New Testament. As, as in regards to the call to, to be a disciple. Because Jesus understood on the compassionate and to be a fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ would be exciting. Anything less than that's going to be bland. And why would Christ want bland for any of us? But again, it's not to our benefit. Christ understood that the world would only be changed by fully devoted disciples. So why would he call us to anything else? My good friend Bobby Harrington, who leads from Nashville, discipleship.org, says it so beautifully. The gospel that we preach and the Jesus that we uphold will directly determine the disciples that we get. You see, if it's easy street in our presentation of the gospel and it's all about what you get, then we get disciples that are all about what I get. And then when we say, well, actually... Christ, I didn't tell you this part up front, but actually Christ is asking for your full allegiance. He's asking for us to sacrifice. And whoa, that, that wasn't part. I, see, I've got a different kind of disciple from the invitation that I gave. C.S. Lewis said it so well. He said these words, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. You know what I dig about that? I dig the honesty. I dig the honesty. So we find ourselves, uh, again, in this conversation of imperative, those non-negotiables that Christ laid out for us the, that contain the word must. And so we find ourselves in... Jesus-style invitation to become a disciple in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 this morning. Christ not only gives us the challenge, but he gives, as he would normally, the solution. And the solution and the challenge seem very closely intertwined in this call. And so when we read uh, Luke chapter 9, 23, this is what we find. Then Jesus said to them all, If anyone would come after me, in other words, to be my disciple... He or she must, non-negotiable, deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, this language was strong and it was found peppered throughout the invitations of Christ. 
But there were other stronger invitations that Christ had in the same focus. Watch this. Just five chapters later, Luke chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus said it even stronger. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Don't sign up in the back if you're not willing to give full allegiance and take up your cross. Now, I'm always interested in context. When you look at the reference, if we can go back to that, that screen there, if you look at the reference, it's Luke chapter 14 and verse 27. So often you just kind of back up a little bit and you say, who's he talking to? Because if he were talking to people that were fully in, then you know what you get when you talk to people like, that are fully in? You get a lot of head nods. You go to the gym, man, I, I, I go to the gym almost every day. I know, hard to tell. Um, but I go to the gym almost every day, and uh, they got this amazing snack bar. So I just go right, no, I'm just kidding. So I'm working out, and I see these guys are super buff. And I, I'm like, man, I respect them so much. I wish they wouldn't drop the weights and you know, shatter your, like, your soul when they do that. But I, I, I respect them so much because I'm like, that took a lot of work. They didn't pop in here just last Thursday, and all of a sudden they look buff. There's a lot of an investment. But if I gathered all the buff guys, you know, in the in the gym, and I say, "Hey guys, let's work really hard," you know, like, yeah, and, you know, they would be like, yeah, "Of course," you know. I don't know if you would get that for the whole the whole you know uh, gym, right? So it's, it's kind of, again, like it's a music school. You know, Juilliard is the number one school in, in America for music, and they, they put out the best. But I've always had a problem with it because they only take the best. When you only take the best, it's easy to put out the best. The, the, the bar is so high to be able to get in, into Juilliard that, of course, you're only going to put out the best. What would really turn me on is you take the worst and you put out the best. That was the Jesus approach. So Jesus is not talking to the head nodders that are already in. Watch the context, just two verses earlier than this in 1425 and Luke. And here's who he's speaking to. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if you don't take up your cross, you can't follow me. This is the context. This is the invitation. This is the fairness of Christ. Let me lay it all down to you from the outset that if you're going to be a world changer and a kingdom uh, shaker, if you're going to play this game, it is not about agreeing to theology. Not going to do a thing. It is not making sure that you and God are secure and your eternity is settled. It is not about that. It is an important decision to make. But when Christ is calling us to be disciples, he's calling us to change the world with him. And for that reason, he puts this call. He says, let me give you one of the greatest challenges then. If you're going to follow me and come after me, you must deny yourself. Notice he didn't say you must deny yourself of certain or deny certain things. Had he said that, man, I think it would have been easier. But he says deny yourself. So let me go deep for a second, okay? There are phenomena in our everyday lives that as much as we study about them in a textbook, it's hard to fully grasp them. Gravity is one of those things. We understand gravity to a certain degree. If I drop this book, then it falls to the ground. We get that. But 
the intricacies of gravity. I mean, who can wrap their mind around it? The moon, the tides, the gra- I mean, it is, it is stunning. But all of us see the effects of it. There is this field force inside of us that is inside of every human being. The Bible refers to it by a, a few different names, but it's still the same self, flesh, sinful nature. These are the names that, that God uses to explain to us this mysterious force that even guys like the Apostle Paul said, man, the thing I want to do, I can't do it. And the thing I don't want to do, I keep doing it. And there's this, there's this thing that's called self inside of us that is rugged and ruggedly fierce that every single person gets. I would say to you that as a Christian, if you're a a follower of Christ, if you say, Steve, I'm not quite sure what you're talking about. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not feeling the, you know, this, this filled force thing. I would respectfully, but honestly say to you, that if you're not feeling that, you know, like when you take two magnets that are polarized and you try to push them together, if you're not feeling that, most likely you're not leaning in to God hard enough. If I have a back row version, no offense to the back row, but you know what I mean, a back row version of Christianity, in other words, I'm sitting in the back of the canoe with no oars in the water, most likely I'll feel this less than when I'm pushing the edge and trying to do something with God for the kingdom. From from years of experience, the more I am on the front lines, the more I feel this. There is a civil war that's going on inside. No one feels this angst when they're playing the happy horse. (laughs) It's when you try to play Beethoven, like, man, this is hard. That's because you're trying to move and change a kingdom, and when you're in that game, you'll feel it more. I think there are three levels, three layers of self that, given some thought to this week, of that everything that we wrestle with, I think you have to be the judge of your own self, but I think they fall neatly in these three layers, these three uh, layers of self. You see if you... You see if you connect with this. And I would invite you along the way. We're gonna, I'm going to take a bus stop at each one of these. And I'll tell you where mine is, as I so aptly do. I've, I don't need a lot of therapy because I have you. I just <laughs> confess my weaknesses, and I feel a lot better on Sunday afternoon. So I'll tell you where mine is. But I invite you to take inventory and say, where is that greatest struggle for me? All right, so... To try to make it simple, here are the three uh, layers that I would ask you to consider of ourself. The things that, that, that force inside of us keeps us from being fully allied with Christ. Number one, self-interest. This is what I want to do, and we're going to break each of these down. It's what I want to do. Self-preservation, protecting myself. It's what I don't want to do. And finally, self-promotion, what I've done what I've done already. So let's take the first one. Let's let's jump in. And then we'll, like I said, we'll take a little bus stop here and 
When I think of self-interest, these are the things that most likely are good things. They're the things that I, I just I love to do. That I, it captures my attention and probably captures my attention too much. The things that become, can become an idol. I've seen this happen in high schoolers, new boyfriend, new girlfriend, or in adults, new boyfriend, new girlfriend. That, man, that relationship, because, you know, the lovey-doveys are flowing pretty heavy, that it becomes a consuming force. And my self-interest, I've seen over and over, year after year of my Christian leadership, I've seen Christ become diminished as another relationship because of romance. Something great, something God gave to us. It's a gift. Romance is cool. It takes place. Sometimes it's a hobby. Sometimes it's, you know, I, uh, it's something you love to do, and all of a sudden it, it consumes and becomes almost an idol. In other words, is it okay to have a hobby as a disciple of Christ? No. There will be no fun. I'm just kidding you. <laughs> of course there is. God created fun. He created colors and smells and scents and tastes and flavors and, uh, and, and all the things he said. Hey, I want you to enjoy them until we enjoy them to the place that it takes place of God. And it's so subtle because of that self, like, man, I really like this. Is it that motorcycle that you got to buff and shine every weekend that, you know, it just becomes consuming? Hey, Steve, is it work? This is something I've been honest to you about. Work is good. Work is part of, the, part of the, the whole strategy here that God's laid out. But I have found at times that I am working so deeply at something that is good that I have edged God out by the idol of my achievements. And that my jazz is coming from how much I'm getting done rather than how much I'm loving God. I can't serve God because I'm working so much, whatever that thing is. I wonder what that might be if that's for some of you like, oh, man, this relationship, this thing, this hobby, this activity is what I want to do. It's my self-interest. And man, it is now centerpiece in my life. You know, Peter was a fisherman not only by profession, but probably by heart. And, uh, you know, we're in Florida, probably a lot of fishermen in the room today. Uh, let me offend you all. No, I'm just kidding. Um, when I talk to a true fisherman, man, it is stunning. They know what kind of fish it is, what color it is, how big it is, how big it needs to be before you catch and keep, uh, where they're, you know, at, you know, under the bridge, over in the middle. You know, I mean, they... <laughs> They, they know. I, I, don't, I couldn't tell the difference between a catfish and a shark. I, you know, you could tell me, hey, you just call a shark. I'm, thank you. It's a turtle. But, uh, you know. <laughs> this was Peter. It represented for him his interest. When Christ said, drop your nets, what he was saying is, drop your self-interest. I know that your dad was a fisherman, and Peter, his dad was a fisherman, and it runs right through your family. That's how cultures work back then. But I'm asking for the thing that you love, Peter. And he dropped them. Until things got tough, 
In John chapter 21, at the very last chapter, Jesus comes across to them, but watch what happens. Here's a challenge, guys. Our self-interest become contagious. And instead of influencing the world for the kingdom, we influence people with our self-interest. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two other disciples were all together. They were having small group night. Peter says, I'm going. I'm out. I'm folding. I'm going to go fish. I wonder if they had just sung the song, Though None Go With Me, I Still Will Follow. Because the other guy said, we'll go with you. I feel like we're always changing people, uh, influencing people one way or the other. And on that day, Peter influenced them to pick their nets back up. And so they went out, they got in the boat, and that night, here's the compassion part, they didn't catch anything. I can't tell you how many self-interest pursuits I followed, and net after net after net was empty. See, the compassionate part is Christ saying, man, I don't want that for you. I don't want you to come to the end of your life and you got a lot of empty, salty nets. Nothing of worth. Nothing that was really going to, that it really panned out for the kingdom, see? At the end of his life, Jesus in John chapter 17, verse 4 says, God, Father, I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave to me to do. In other words, I was about the kingdom work. And in fact, Paul says the same thing in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24. He said, I consider my self-interests, the things I want to do, the thing, my bucket list. I consider my bucket list worth nothing to me if only I might finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has asked me to do, to, has given me. You see, here's what I'd like to say to you. Hashtag, you can't do it all. You can't do it all. Parents, to be a fully allied disciple of Christ, you can't do it all with your kids. We don't do baseball leagues in our home that take us away, that have non-negotiable weekend games. Just not going to do it. We're, there are certain things that we buy or don't buy because we tell our kids, hey, that's not, that's not going to be our style. We're devo- our, our checkbook is devoted to Christ. Our accounts are devoted to Christ. You can't have it all. And living in a culture that says you can have it all, man, it's, it's a challenge because our culture is constantly beckoning our self-interests. You can't have it all. You can't do it all. Your bucket list is not, your, is not, not the goal of your life. It's fine to have fun ambitions and all that, but just hear, hear me in a balanced way. Doesn't mean you've got to give up your hobbies or you know, go live in a tent. But what I'm saying is, let's take a bus stop. Let's take a bus stop. I invite you to ask yourself, is this one mine? Is there some interest, some relationship, some hobby, some thing? My house, my job, my work, whatever that thing is, God has to answer that for you. Is there something of my self-interest 
that gives me pleasure, that gives me a high, that gives me my identity, that is an idol, that is keeping me from being a fully uh, devoted follower of Christ. Here's the second thing, okay? I'll go ahead and tell you. This one, this one for me is, uh, it's mine. This one's mine. Self-preservation. What does that mean? Self-preservation is when I'm not going to jump in the pool because I'm afraid what might happen. I'm going to protect myself. In other words, this is, we inherit this from Adam. As soon, soon as he stepped off the line, what happened? He hid. And when people hide, they're like protecting themselves. I don't want something bad to happen to me. This, this may be for you like, a, you know, I did something and I got burned. Boy, I'm not doing that again. I served God in the church, and boy, there was a big church split, and boy, I'm never getting involved again. So I'm going to protect myself from not getting hurt again. I got in a relationship, and, that, and, and I was trying to pour in somebody's life, and boy, they just walked away, and they blew it, and they didn't have nothing to do with God. Boy, I'm not going to do that again because that hurt too bad. Sometimes it's those things that hurt so bad that I'm going to protect myself from not being hurt again. Sometimes it's a secretive thing. Sometimes it's like, man, I'm never going to get in one-to-one discipleship because it's too vulnerable. Man, people are going to be up in my business. They're going to know, you know, my, my dirty laundry. They're, I'm going to have to give. I'm going to have to open up a little bit. I'm going to have to pry that, that, that opening to my inner self. And boy, I ain't doing that. Even if you've never done it before, sometimes it's afraid. Sometimes, for me, it's been, you know, uh, missions. I was in 15 cities last year. If you were close to me, you think, dude, that's, that, that, that is incredible because I leave the plane cleaner than what I found it. Being a germaphobe, I'm part Irish, part germaphobe. Um, uh, man, it's a washdown. You know, I get to my seat. I'm like, I'm wiping it down. I wipe, you know, if there's somebody sitting next to me, I don't know. I don't care. I'm wiping them down too. I may just spray them right in the face with Lysol. <laughs> There are things that travel brings fear in me. I'm going to eat something. I'm going to drink something. I'm going to catch something. I'm, a, I'm an introvert. I've, I've, you know, here's the restroom. It's a curtain with a hole in the ground. Like, wow. Is that too much in church? Because if you say yes, I'm going to even keep going. So just say no. Just say, okay, Steve, we have. That is totally fine. We're good, man. I'm just trying to be honest with you to say, hey, this leader has an, his own set of fears. And I've had to come to the place where I have to say, God, it's your body, not mine. And put myself in some very, very physically vulnerable areas. And I'm about to take some trips that are extremely vulnerable. My mom just said, uh-oh. So... And I've had to take that to God and say, God, this is keeping me from being what you want me to be. You have called me to do this. And I've said no, only because of self-preservation. You see? Watch what Paul says. So we we saw this passage where he said, hey, I count my self-interest as nothing. Watch this. Two verses before, here's the context. Acts chapter uh, 20 and verse 22. Acts chapter 20 and verse 22, if we can bring it up on screen. Yes, Acts chapter 20, verse 22. Watch this. Paul says, and now compelled by the Spirit, not just because I had a good idea, I think I'll go to Jerusalem, but compelled by the Spirit, 
I'm going to go to Jerusalem. Now listen, God is compelling all of us to share our faith with the world. God is compelling all of us to become disciples and disciple makers, okay? So there's some basics. You don't have to scratch your head and wonder. But sometimes God compels us to do specific things and go specific places to talk to specific people. This was what was happening. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. That's scary. These guys going to to Cambodia, they don't know what's going to happen to them but listen, you don't know what's going to happen to you if you go to Walmart this afternoon, right? You talk to that person in the cubicle next to you. You don't know what's, how the response is going to be. This was Paul's heart. This, he's being honest. But he says in verse 23, I only know that in every city the, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are going to face me. Sign-ups in the back for the mission trip. But watch this. The next word penetrates self-preservation. However, knowing that the unexpected is inevitable, knowing prison and hardships are going to face me, the Holy Spirit said, in every single city. However, if we had more however Christians, oh my gosh, we could change the world. For Christ, this was the prayer. This is the prayer. Man, I wish I could have prayed this prayer one time. Man, I prayed to God one time, and every time I get on a plane, I'm just like, whoo, this is easy. Every single trip, I'm like, there it is again. There's that anxiety. There's that worry. I'm going to do this. I'm going to catch this. I'm going to be this. I'm going to blah, blah, blah. And they're not going to have a bathroom. Blah, blah, blah. All the things that are rolling my man. And I have to come to God and say, however, not going to let it stop me, God. You might lose your life. However, going to go. However, I consider my self-protection worth nothing to me if I can just do what Christ has called me to do. Let's take a bus stop. Maybe this one's yours, like mine. Maybe this is your Achilles heel that fear of being vulnerable with another person or a relationship or you got burned last year or 20 years ago and, you, and your spiritual life is covered with hand gel to make sure you don't catch anything. Make sure nothing happens. Maybe that's yours. And maybe you'd say to God, man, I'm stopped in my tracks by my by this protective measure. Here's the last one, self-promotion. Now, all of these are, are sensitive topics to God, but this one, I think, is a particularly sensitive topic to God. That, that thing that says, hey, I'm somebody, it rears its head. The Bible calls it pride. It's a sensitive one because On the deeper side of the Bible, before Adam took his first breath, something happened in heaven. And what happened in heaven, when I mention, say the word Lucifer, if you don't know the Bible, you would think, oh, that's you know, dark and Halloween and you know, evil and blah, blah, blah. But Lucifer was, from all indications, the most beautiful created being in heaven. And I think he had more capacity than, than we can wrap our minds around, and I'll tell you why. 
but it went to his head. And he promoted himself to a dangerous level to say that I believe that I'm equal to God and I can take the throne. In Isaiah chapter 4, there are five steps up to his disaster in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 13. Isaiah 14, 13. God speaking to Lucifer, and, he, and in this description here in the book of Ezekiel, we're given a description that he was magnificently beautiful. Um, he had pipes, there were, he had musical capacity, artistic capacity, and a lot more capacity. God says to Lucifer, you have said in your heart, I will. See where the self is there? I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Number three, I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. Number four, I will ascend to the tops of the clouds. Number five, I will make myself like the Most High. For Bible studiers, I invite you to Philippians chapter 2 this afternoon, and you'll see five steps down that Christ made. The exact opposite of Lucifer. Do you remember the first temptation of Eve? Just take a bite of this fruit, and you will be what? Like God. You'll be like God. This is a sensitive topic to God because there are lists in the Bible of things that really God can't stand, and always at the top is pride. Now, I don't think anybody in the room would say, hey, this one's mine. I've said I'm equal to God. But let me, let me go subtle here for just a second, okay? The subtleties are, are important. There are things in my life that I know I'm not going to do. I have never sat in a, in a, in a, a Bucks NFL game and this thought ever came to my mind. You know what? I think with a little work, I could probably be quarterback. That has, that has never entered my mind. Never thought of that. Because I recognize that I don't have that capacity, and that coming up on 59 years old, probably ain't going to happen, right? So it doesn't enter my mind. There are other things, however, that I say, I think I could do that. Have you ever been there? I could do that. When, when Lucifer said, I can, I can be like God, it's because he really believed it. And he must have had enough capacity to have convinced himself that that was a possibility. All right, here we go. I'll put myself. Those times in my life where I have operated as if I didn't need God, what I'm saying is, I can do it on my own. I've promoted myself enough to have believed that I can do it in my own strength. Am I connecting with anybody? Those times where I have not pulled into the spiritual gas tank and fueled my tank... And I would never say out loud, I don't need you, God, but I'm living as such that I've got so consumed that somewhere along in this lane, I've said, oh, yeah, God. Oh, man, ooh, didn't ask God. Oh, boy, haven't really tanked up with God. 
And in that moment, what I am saying is that I actually can do it. I have promoted my own strength, my skill. I have a great Bible program. I could, get, I could craft a wonderful sermon to you, but not to God. In my own intellect, my own skill, my own research experience, without stopping and saying, God, I am not equal to this task. I can only do this. I can only be a good dad with only your help, God. I can only be a good husband. I can only be a good wife. I can only be a good worker. I can only be a good witness. I can only be a disciple only through you, God, and I can't do it on my own. I can't do it on my own. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat and drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I don't know about you, but right about now, I'm ready for a solution. How about you? The solution and the predicament are intertwined. And this is where the compassion of the invitation of Christ comes in. You'll notice in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, going back to our statement from Christ this morning, then Christ said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is the solution. Let me break it down. I am profoundly thankful as a fellow human being here that there's not a period after the word himself. I'm, I'm profoundly thankful that Christ didn't come along and say, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, period. Good luck with that. Yon, yon. And the reason I'm profoundly thankful for that is because there have been chapters in my life, vices in my life, mistakes in my life, that with every effort, and if you know me, I am a resolved guy. If we're going to paint the house, we're going to paint the house, we're going to finish painting the house. That's, a, that's how I am naturally, humanly wired. I have put full force of that natural resolve that I have, and I am going to overcome this thing. And I keep bringing up empty nets of worthless effort. See, the solution is this. Christ says to us all the time, let me do it. Let me do it through you. Christ is not saying, I'm asking you to, not, to deny yourself on your own. What he's saying is the secret is in the daily part. Come to me daily. Lay these things daily. Be crucified with me daily, and I will empower you. I will empower you to deny yourself. Should be a disclaimer with really beautiful music floating in the background. Don't try this on your own. Side effects would be blah, 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 over, blah, blah. <laughs> It's no secret my mom is a warrior fighting cancer right now. So she's going to regular treatments. And she sits there for three or four hours. There's no drive-through two-minute treatment. And we got the report last week. It's smaller and not larger. We're profoundly thankful for that. And the reason that we're thankful, of course, 
Yep. But see, the treatment is doing the work. No oncologist worth his weight in gold would say, you got cancer, you better start working at it. You better do some more push-ups. You better do, you know, no. You better get treatment, something more powerful outside of your body that can, can bring, uh, can reduce that thing. You see, left to ourself, here's the, here's the hard thing about ourself, uh, this, this, this field force thing. Left to ourself, it becomes cancerous. And a monthly check-in with Christ, our oncologist, is not enough because it will grow to the place that it will be out of hand. I, I lived in the East Coast, in the Atlantic Ocean, you know, where there's undertow and undercurrent. You better understand when you go into that ocean, that was the motel I was floating in front of. Because if you're not paying attention, you come out and you think you're in a different world. That was not my hotel because the undertow of it left into itself without an anchor will carry you 15 hotels down. I've stayed in many new hotels because I didn't know where I was. <laughs> Listen, here it is. Here it is. There is no human being that has the strength enough to fight the field force of self. No one. Christ understood the formula that we better daily get his treatment, the power of the Holy Spirit in radiation against self. It's like the Israelites in the wilderness. Here's food, and it's for today, because that ain't good for tomorrow. We come to Christ. I come to Christ, and I pray things like this. God, I'm a scaredy cat. I'm getting ready to travel, and you know my anxiety. God, I don't want that to impede me from serving you with all my devotion. And when I get there, I don't want to be worried about it. I don't want to be thinking about it. I don't want to be consumed about it, and I don't want to be shut down by it. I want to be fully devoted to the mission, to what you want. So God, I'm asking you to radiate that thing, to crucify that thing, and to empower me through the Holy Spirit because this is your body, not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. We're ready to go. See how that goes? This is not reading a self-help book. This is not doing more spiritual push-ups. It is coming to Christ and saying, I want to be all in. I want to be all in, and I can't do it on my own. And I'm coming to you every day because that old self is cancerous, and it's going to grow with the undertow and take me places I don't want to go. Are you in? Are you in? Let's pray. Father, God, how we need you. We need you as our Savior. We need you as our Lord. God, we need you as our oncologist to allow the Holy Spirit to reduce, God, that self in us. So as we've taken inventory throughout the morning, God, let's, God, we just want to take some time right now in, in front of you, laid bare. We're naked in front of you, God. Our, our inner person is naked before you. I know, God, today in the room, there are those who, who their thing is that self-interest, their challenge, their idol, their impedance, 
to be fully devoted, God. That thing they love so much, that person they love so much, maybe it's a girlfriend, boyfriend, maybe it's, maybe it's their kids. Maybe their kids are on the throne instead of Christ. Maybe it's activity, maybe it's hobbies, whatever that thing that they want to do, good thing most likely, that you're not asking them to put away, God, but, but definitely remove it from the center of their life. I wonder if that, that's you today, that you would say, I'm surrendering that to Christ today. This doesn't count for tomorrow. Right in this moment today. I wonder, God, who's here today that, that deeply relates to my anxiety and my fear, the, the self-preservation. They got burned 20 years ago or last year. Not going to do that again. Not going to be vulnerable. Not going to open up. Going to protect. Going to protect my time. I'm not going to let that run away. I'm not, i gotta, I got to save myself on that. Save enough for me. I wonder who right now would say, God, I'm, I'm tired of protecting. It's keeping me, God. It's keeping me. It's holding me. Some people may say, it's imprisoned me. I'm not moving ahead. I, I'm going to take my inadequacy. I'm going to put it on the cross and nail it with you, God, today. I'm going to put my fears. I'm going to, take, I'm going to lay them down right now, God, and say, God, these are not my fears. These are not fears that come from you. I'm asking you, God, to crucify that. I wonder who's here that is living without God right now that would never, the words would never come out of their mouth, God, I'll take it from here, but we're certainly living like that. Can't remember the last time they pulled up to God's spiritual tank and said, please, God, fill me. God, I'm about to do something. I need you. I don't want to do this without you, God. I wonder who's stuck in a lane that says, man, I've been doing this thing on my own. And uh, just, I've just come to this discovery. I've, I've been doing this on my own. I've promoted my own skills, my own intellect, my own abilities, my own paycheck to, a, to an unhealthy place. Father, there's not an exemption in this room that doesn't fight the, the force of self. So this is something we all face, God. We're all on the boat, and we'll be all on the boat tomorrow and the day after that. So Father, thank you for the solution that comes through Christ today, that we're not doing this on our own and fighting with our own strength. We truly, God, are surrendering to you, and not just any one or two minute short prayer, God, but to wrestle with you wrestle with you, to wrestle with that idol, to wrestle with that protection, to wrestle with that, that self-reliance, uh, whatever that thing is, God, to, to wrestle with it and to lay it down and to be empowered by you, God. I pray for this church family for that. And so, Father, today we're grateful for Christ, who not only saves us from a hopeless and helpless state of being lost, 
God saves us even when we've come to faith, by faith in, in Christ that we've come, you've saved us, God, from a life that we can't fight on our own. Father, at the end here of this prayer, we all as brothers and sisters want to pray for our friends who've come today who are looking for God, for looking for you. And we pray, God, that they will have an empowered understanding that they too are not alone and they too are in a, in a position of not being able to, with any effort on their own, be good enough to, to earn your favor or your love. Christ said on the cross, it is done, it is finished. And that finished work of Christ, God, we thank you that it cleanses and takes away every sin, every mistake, every fracture. And because you have come back from the dead, Christ, we now can be empowered by your Holy Spirit. We pray together for those who, in this room who have never come to Christ and said, Christ, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a savior. I cannot help myself. I cannot save myself. Christ, would you ignite in me new life? Christ, would you, would you receive me, accept me? Because Christ, I want to accept you and your gift. And you have my heart, Christ. You have my life. I don't even fully understand what that means, but here I am. I want to be a follower of Jesus. The world behind me, the cross before me. So many prayers going around this room, Father, and we thank you that you hear each syllable and each inflection of every heart praying. And for that, God, we end this day as we begun. We love you. We worship you. And God, we absolutely and profoundly need you. In the name of Jesus.